Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, a podcast produced by Future Leaders Mentoring. Today we're chatting with Mark Huxley in one of our special podcast series on leaders' life stories. Hi, Mark. Hey, Ian. Lovely to meet you. I'm very much looking forward to this. Thank yeah, you for inviting yeah, me. Too. Me too. Yeah, me too. So obviously we, we've we've had one conversation before today uh, where we were sort of introduced from uh, a shared contact and we had a really nice conversation that day and I, I learned a lot about you then and certainly admired all of your experience um, and certainly a little bit envious of, of some of it as well, I, I, I don't mind saying. So I'm really, really interested to see where, where today's conversation goes to and I know people listening to this uh, will will be impressed, but also inspired by a lot of the things you've done um, and no doubt take a lot of learnings from them as well. Gosh, no pressure then. <laughs> yes, just just ease you in gently there, Mark. <laughs> so starting starting at the start then. So, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role is today. Yeah, sure. Um, so my... My role today, uh, kind of, if we're going to work backwards, I work as a, as a as a bit of a portfolioist. But if you were going to characterise it, probably in two key areas. One, uh, I work as a management consultant, and my real specialism, as we'll probably unpack a little bit further, is I've navigated around the Lloyd's and specialty insurance market for a good many years. Fortunately, people can't see me. They can only hear me, but I, I'm an old man. I'm in my 60s. Um, so I, I kind of really work around the area of helping businesses kind of understand what they want to be, be, be the best version of themselves. And again, I won't say too much because I think we'll unpack that as we go through. Just helping develop good leaders. Uh, and I've, I've learned a lot, as we all do, through our own lived experiences mm. that, that brought me to do what I do today. And aside of being in the, the kind of the one channel of the, the insurance world, I, I, I have the privilege, and I do call it that, of operating within the, the, the iconic historic heritage um, livery movement within the city of London. So there is a, uh, alongside the, the worshipful companies of mercers, basket weavers, butchers, bakers, everything else, there is, who are many of which are nearly a thousand years old, there's one that's was founded in 2014 called the Company of Entrepreneurs. So um, I'm, I'm proud to be a, a freeman of that. But more importantly, uh, I'm on the route and come November next year, all being equal, I'll be its master for a year. So oh, wow. and the, 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 the benefit of that is it allows me to explore my real passion, which is the craft of entrepreneurship a little more broadly within the, the, the broader ambit of the, of the city of London. And I think when we we live in a post-COVID world. If we look at uh, a lot of societal changes, um, particularly kind of Gen Zers coming into adulthood now, many of them just don't want to go down traditional careers. The kind of mm. things that you know, certainly I, I went through as a younger version of me. They want to be defined by something, and you know, entrepreneurship, for good or for bad, is seen as a sexy thing to to have as an epithet towards your name. So, trying to kind of help standards up, trying to keep benchmarks up, trying to kind of show the discipline of that craft. But I think more importantly at the moment you know we all live in the world of you know dei diversity equality and inclusivity is actually i've got a real passion for social mobility you know the, the the world the world can be a fair and very unfair place and there's a lot of unconscious bias across yeah. all elements of diversity so i i'm very passionate about 
if I can use the vehicle of that craft, my skills, my lived experience, I, you know, I, I didn't go through tertiary education. I came into the workplace reasonably young as a self-starter. And if that can share, if that can help, if that can influence and be a, a benefit to society, then I say, I think particularly post-COVID, I think it's very important at the moment. So, yeah, so that's the, the, the me on the here and the now. Yeah, okay, cool. That's a great, great bit of insight. And certainly, I think some of, some of the topics you mentioned there, we could probably do a whole podcast in their own right, actually. Um, so thank you for just giving a quick summary on that. Um, so I just want to ask you to cast your mind right back now um, to sort of your, your earliest memory. Um, and I'm just trying to, I like to ask this question because I like to sort of connect some dots with people. I'm really interested in, you know, what motivates people, how early were they nurtured in, in certain ways in, in their life, really. And there's a there's a little route through the podcast that I like to take. So it's it kind of, for me, it gets interesting at, at this point. So Mark, what's your earliest memory? Can you, can you help us with that? Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to start with, uh, I'll give you a literal answer. My very first memory was, I think, so my mother tells me, I was 15 months old, locked in a pushchair by my grandfather, being sawn out of the pushchair. So that is my, my very first, uh, that could be a traumatic memory, I don't know, but the, you, know, you, you ask a question, there's an answer for you. So yeah, yes. I could be, I could just barely walk at the time, but now I've got my grandfather coming with a saw and hacking away at this push chair trying to get me out of it. So there's a silly answer. I think in the context of, uh, of where it took me more into adulthood, um, sport is a big, big passion of mine. And uh, the, the, the teenage version of me um, got got quite kind of advanced and senior in, in, a, in a, a life in cricket. So I was a, an opening bowler in cricket and managed to get onto kind of Essex school. I live in Essex, so got onto Essex schools and county under 19. And, and then there was somewhere in a dim distant opportunity, I, there was a, a chance to be a professional cricketer. So, so actually when I looked at and thought about uh, teenage influences, that learning lesson and I think cricket like a sport like rugby rowing and obviously many others it is all dependent on the interplay of everybody that is a participant of it you know I might be the guy with the ball in my hand you know throwing at some lightning speed at a batsman the other end but if it's not for the other 10 people there what am I in the team for and it really taught me a huge amount about being an effective team, the dynamics that go on around a team where everybody is important, no one is less important than others, and how that interplay all really comes comes together. And definitely, definitely drilled into me by by coaches, you know, kind of visionary coaches, because we are talking about the 1970s here where the world was a different place to as it thinks now, mm. about the fact of we need to build average players into a good team rather than superstars into a poor team, you know, and the average players as a single unit will always beat the, the 12 individuals. And, yes. and that, that brought what I like to think sits in me, which is a, a real understanding of other people's dynamics, a humbleness that you are only one person of something that, that is larger than you, but you are a key part to it. And understanding, you know, where, where literally you've got to learn to play nicely with other people, and how you can influence other people to play nicely with you. So you, you create this, this bigger dynamic, <laughs> excuse me. So as a, as a kind of life lesson that, that stayed with me, you know, that, that is absolutely one that, that sits in there. 
and it's it's funny. I, I I've seen it a few times you know, with, with the sporting corollary. It's a few times in my working life where I've been around other good sportsmen, but they're in in individual sports. And actually, where I'm very much a we us and our person, they much become an I me my person, and that might be a a really kind of bizarre coincidence of these folks, but it happened way too many times, you know, to a point, yeah, and, yeah kind of being gender blind, male or female. Okay, yeah, yeah, playing sport, yeah, you know. I play tennis. I oh, yeah, yeah, play doubles. No, 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 because it's all about me, you know. And I, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, and again, just a little, a little <coughs> thing that sits around in the, the, the silly thoughts when you, you become yeah. failure or otherwise to judge people, but, you know. Don't. So there we go. Sorry, that was a, turned into a bit of a longer answer, but clearly it was the push chair. <laughs> The no, push chair is the takeaway. Push chair, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just um, just sort of visualising that this big hacksaw um, and a wooden push chair. That uh, sounds like <laughs> it would have left others around you as well with it, with a bit of a story to tell. Uh, uh, well, uh, well I'll, 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 just for the second, so the visual memory, and it's very clear to me even now, you know, kind of, geez, 60 years on, but, you know, it, it's my grandfather with his knee on the pushchair, literally soaring away, and my mother somewhat screaming in the background, don't cut him up, don't cut him up. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave I that can, horror thought with you. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you that so far, that's definitely the... Um, the most unique story that we've had about that, <laughs> that question. So, um, oh, well, there we are. There's a challenge for your future episodes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so we, so we've learned a little bit about your current role, um, and a little bit about sort of the the values that have been sort of uh, instilled in you, and you've learned as you've grown up. Then, so, how would you sort of describe your journey to your current role after after those sort of team based sort of learnings where where did you go from there so i to kind of unpack my career in that context um as i said before i i, I kind of dropped out of school mainly because of the sport because um you know there was a a fateful summer where i may have done and i may i didn't do and I, I dropped out in my a-level years to to think about pursuing the cricket life which, which came to nothing but actually then courtesy of my father um who worked in and around the lloyd's insurance market uh, uh, he he found an opportunity for his you know his boy to do something useful. So uh, he introduced me to to one of his friends, one of his clients. So that that's where I came in and and, and joined uh, that Lloyd's Insurance community. And I think kind of reflecting on that that personal characteristic and the the, the dynamics of something like Lloyd's. And I, I have no idea whether you or your listeners you know spend much time in it, but. Very much in the old day, it was like a proper trading market. You know, we're talking about pre-computer, early computerization, but ostensibly pre-computerization. A vast big room being the underwriting room full of all of these little underwriting boxes, the syndicates, the insurers that were in there, and everybody doing everything face to face. And with my character, with the team dynamic, with being around people, which I love, it was just absolutely a nirvana for me to be involved in so I, I you know I joined it 4th of July 1977 so 45 years ago only a week or so back and I just immediately fell in love with it I fell in love with the dynamic of it I fell in love with the people I fell in love with what it did I actually fell in love with insurance I kind of you know got not not the somewhat the kind of awful reputation it enjoys or doesn't enjoy in the in the UK but in the world this specialist world yes. that I was dealing in which was kind of bigger ticket corporate and international risks you know, it was doing really important things on big stuff that, that made big differences. And it was lovely to be part of that. 
and kind of part of this self journey then of, of becoming a better businessman was understanding the concept of you know understanding risk mitigating risk controlling risk how do you actually protect risk you know from insurance instruments how do you deal with the outflow of when things go wrong and how do you complete the circle and how do you keep coming back to that and that that set me fair on that journey so you know I, I my head was in there it was quite a mathematical thing uh, I'm quite kind of tuned into that obviously the legal construct around insurance kind of played to an analytical part that was was sitting in my head so it was very much a a kind of nirvana for me to to thrive and again I think something we might get talking about you know talent and future talent I mentioned about the social mobility part of it was it was a society that was actually a wonderful balance of on the one side of it and I'd like to call myself a smart person but not academically qualified but a, mm -hmm. what was quite clearly a latent entrepreneurial spirit a builder a shed inventor whatever you want to call it playing nicely alongside very clever people tertiary educated that had all the conduct risk or the regulatory and, and protective stuff that would keep the corporation alive so that's legal accountancy financial so it was a lovely balance where you you felt you could thrive and you felt you had a voice and you felt that you you you, you could move on and achieve and as i look back on it i mean i, I got fast-tracked incredibly quickly at, at a young age so i at the age of 23 i was given the reins of running a claims for one of these underwriting syndicates that was doing all of this big ticket and, and to, 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 to speak of one particular claim that most people would have would know about, the, the big litigation for the asbestosis um, ingestion by workers mm. in, in the US. I sat on the front line of that, and that was oh, wow. 10 years of my, my life. So there's the, the scale of claims. So I, it was just being given that freedom to thrive and flourish was lovely. Being invested in by people was wonderful. You know, using today's vernacular, you know, I always called myself, I was a sorcerer's apprentice, but, you know, I was being mentored by a, a good role model who taught me my craft. So it was just a, it was just a lovely place for, for me to, to, to get into and, 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 and grow up from. I suppose kind of unfortunately for them, what they did unearth in me was a, a real desire to want to make my own difference and make my own impact. So having vested, you know, a dozen, 13, 14 years you know, academically qualifying me to be a, a good you know, corporate citizen and do all of the you know, operational and strategic things that I was having to do. I thought, actually, I want to do this for myself now. So I thanked them kindly, took all of the uh, invested time in me and set off in the late 1990s um, to, to start my own journey of, of, of running my own businesses. And again, you know, in the definition of the insurance industry, as you look back from today, back into that era, now there is a very large active sector of outsourced professional claims management services where a third party administrator does it on a white label on behalf of um, insurance companies. So they, 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 they deliver value into the values chain of claims. And very proud to say I, I pretty much kind of pioneered and brought that into the UK. Um, it was in the, the US beforehand, but hadn't been delivered here and delivered. Yeah, others were doing it, but I, oh. I think I, I delivered the first properly robust model and again equally proudly bear in mind this was the 1990s in today's language it was a cloud-based web trading company on this funny thing called the worldwide intraweb that no one really knew what it was with a netscape browser who remembers netscape, netscape. <laughs> sitting out there so it, it, it did it did a few things that were quite kind of life-changing for me then in my my working life that i was seen to build a business of value um 
I, I created something very distinctive, very differentiated. The, the tech part of it was definitely innovative. Um, again, you know, very proud of, of touch points in my, my working life. I, I, I got onto the radar of the Daily Telegraph and they wrote about me in 2000 about the fact I was running a, an online business, you know, creating an old language, a lingua franca that we could all talk to each other. So open architecture in, in today's language. So when I, when I came to the point, having had my fun, grown it up, got the thing to scale, I wanted to exit for, for personal reasons, that I came back out into my insurance economy and said, right, guys, look, I'm back, I'm here. And in my head, I thought everyone would want to take me down back into my insurance world, but it wasn't. It was kind of, well, you know, kind of, I don't know what it is you did with that company, but my God, you built something there. How did you do that? Where, where, where did you, and this was bigger corporations, you know, dwarfing me. Right. So can you come and help us do that? So that, yeah. that is what characterized me in, in the second half of my life. So I took those learned skills, uh, and I will make a call a couple of points out that I did learn, which I think are important to this conversation. And I've spent the rest of my life building small businesses that help people do different parts yeah. of that. One of which did get to scale. I started up with a, a friend and a partner, a strategic marketing business, um, which where I was the subject matter expertise expert strategist. Said person was the was the marketeer, and it was just going to be me and my friend having a bit of fun and helping some good people do uh, some nice people do some good things. But actually, in the end of it, cut much of the story out. Where it was a business that went to scale and ended up being a the largest agency that transacted in that one space and 40, 50 people working in it at its peak. Um, and it, you know, it's, I left it again um, somewhat after and it's still going very strong, still a very good company, mm. still doing what it does. But two lessons I did take out in my journey um, running that first business that were really important to me and, and really have shaped much of what I've become in my, my philosophical life. One was everyone talks today about the Simon Sinek why you know, why us? Why, why, why this business? You know, why me? There is actually a previous incarnation of him. This is no way to allege that he plagiarised from it, but it's kind of a too close a corollary. Back around the time of the dot-com boom, so go back to this this time when I was on the radar of the, the, the mighty Daily Telegraph, uh, a chap called Robert Jones wrote a book called The Big Idea, and it was the first exposition of dot-com companies. Why were they different? I mean, in a way he described the book, you know, why, why orange, not cell phone or cell net, whatever it would have been mm. at that time? You know, the future's bright, the future's orange, yeah. Why Virgin, why not BA, you know? Why John Lewis, not Debenhams? And so on and so forth. Yes. Yeah, very, very many evocations of that. And what he came to, to surmise in it, which, which really triggered into my head, was those businesses had a big idea. And they had an idea that was bigger than the transaction of what they wanted that business to be. And... That could have been commercial, societal, social, whatever it, whatever it might be in there. And it then aligned to another, another book that I read at the same time, which looked down a lift, different lens, but I think came back to the same middle. I, 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 big lifelong lover of um, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I, I packed across this book, which was their academic exposition of, Ben and Jerry's as a values-led organization, okay. purpose and cause. And, and I, it's still in print now. I mean, long after they obviously tragically, in my opinion, sold the business to Lever Brothers. But the emotional connection that Ben and Jerry's through the transaction of something as silly as ice cream have made to its customers 
but also to its own employees and the organizations that they were franchising in. So, you know, fair trade before fair trade was, was fashionable. Yes. O- opening up plants in and around underdeprived, uh, sorry, underserved or deprived communities where they could build a societal aspect out of it. Internal well-being, and I, and I love a story that's in there about them having a, a corporate or uh, occupational psychologist who actually used to go around often dressed as a clown, and they'd <laughs> see people on desks, uh, their desks, and then kind of, oh, you look a bit sad, and, you know, and they'd make them a little balloon dog, and you, oh, that makes you smile, you know, and, and just that, mm. and, that, and all of that, and both of those things got in my head that you know, an organisation that has a real purpose, understands its values, and understands what it wants to be. Is going to make so much more of a deeper emotional connection with customers and actually then when you get to the you know kind of slightly mercenary commercial side of it gets brand traction and sticking it so again yes. you would look at an apple or apple or bmw or a, a big marquee brand you know people they don't know why they're going into that brand but there's something in there so that yes. subconscious brand strength so mm-hmm. yeah that that was a kind of lesson that took me through that and that's that's kind of where i've navigated ever since till you get back to as we started the the mm. opportunity to now do this this more broadly so yeah. you know I'm, I'm kind of defined in the work I do about helping organizations with mission vision value and purpose about understanding the dynamics of the team about the strength of the leadership group that comes in that team and how that evolves from a you know a concept to a startup to emerge up to a scale up to an at scale re-engineered organization and how that works and actually the strict discipline nature of being an entrepreneur you know and, and it's a tragic fact that so many businesses fail at an early stage and in my own belief of it it's because they go out with a solution not really understanding what the problem is that they're solving and actually don't have in and they don't pay enough attention to the broad sweep of all of the skills that are required to to build a you know, robust sustainable yeah emerging business so you know we all live in a world of lean startups and those kind of things you know mvps and how we take that out and i and i much liken it in my head to where i go and talk to to to, to clients in that that kind of area that I, i'm like the kind of plate spinning act at the circus you know I, but i i i know there are plates and i can see plates down the line that others don't see yeah and my skill is to help them understand you might not be thinking about this at the moment, but if you don't go and start spinning that plate now or even be aware that there's a plate there that's called that, then you're going to just store up problems for a future. So it navigates them away. You know, again, fortunately for your, your audience, they can hear me, not see me. <clears throat> I've run in that many brick walls. You know, I have the face to match. You know, So, <laughs> you know, if it helps you, help some people climb over them and run around them rather than trying to run through them, then yeah, you know, that's where I get up to. So, so that was a very long answer. So. No, no, no. Well, like I said, you, you've got... A load of experience and I'm, I'm really pleased that you've been able to share it with us um, and I guess it's you know there's a couple of really salient points coming out of that for me you know one, one is you know clearly along the way whilst you can share this this knowledge a lot of that would have been based on as you say running into those brick walls and, and accepting that you know I got it wrong there or that was a failure or that was a mistake but they have now turned into, you know, wonderful bits of insight you can share with others and 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 prevent them from from being in that same situation, which is a, which is a bit of a gift that we can that we can share with people as you know we call call it coaching, call it mentoring, call it consultancy, 
it's just it's just feeling like you really want to help somebody and and sharing some of that that story with them so i think that mm. for me is one of the big things sorry sorry Ian, sorry if i might just one comment on that yeah. what i found interesting is obviously i come down from one very narrow channel you know the insurance industry and slightly broader financial services but more through the lens of, of the company of entrepreneurs and folks i meet there i found my lived experience in those skills working in a broader sector as you'd ever want including things like the military you know I, the, 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 there's a, a an academy that trains you know kind of future leaders within the military mm. and we, we get to do some work with them and it's amazing how many of those similar experiences that lived experience and you think God, you know i know nothing about that world you know i, I just yes. but actually there's so many single touch points that you do come yeah. back to yeah no that's a good that's a good point um and, and the second thing, more, more of a question really for you. Um, so you, you you built up this great amount of experience. You you fast tracked through this organization. They looked after you. You were enjoying it, but there was there was obviously um, something in you that made you want to set up on your own. Now, can you can you tell us? Was that like a a moment, or were there several moments that made you think, ah, right? I can do this for myself better, or there's an opportunity that I've noticed because I've been working in the States and I want to do something. How, how does that work for you? It's a really good question. Um, I think truthfully, as I reflect very quickly upon it, when I very first started working, I worked for an insurance broker and I would go into Lloyd's and I'd you know, present my business, things I were doing to, to underwriters. And they were making decisions. And sorry, I'm going, to be, I'm going to make a bit of a kind of rude comment. I don't mean it to sound as rude as it is, but I didn't just want to be a post box that they've made a decision. I'm now just sending a letter okay. or a, yeah. a telex. Who remembers telex? You know, that <laughs> sending that out to, to somebody. Do it. I, I, I very early on in my, my working life thought, no, I want to be the guy making decisions. You know, yes. and I don't want to be the person enacting someone else's decision. So there was a bit of kind of know, command and control, I guess, kind of thinking in there that. That was me. And that was my life in Lloyd. So that, that, that was the transition. Mm. And I think the answer to your question kind of lay from that point onwards, really, because ultimately, as somebody who has a strong belief in what right has to look like and you need to work to right, I got increasingly frustrated as I, as I went through my, my 20s into my 30s into people doing things, not in a way I would want to, I would do things. And it wasn't ever about them being wrong, but they weren't my right. And there was a strength of belief in me. And I think this is you know, very much you know, within our, our company of entrepreneurs, we, we talk about the entrepreneur's mindset, the entrepreneur's gene. You know, either there's an addition or a missing one, but it's, it's having the, the courage or the confidence or the belief that if it's not right, you, you've got to put it right. You know, you've got to fix it. You've got to create it. And you, you've got to be able to make that change. And that got quite burning in me. And, and uh, we, we all have kind of you know, career and life experiences that, that shape some of that stuff. I, I have more than my fair share. So put, to a point, ultimately, I knew whilst the business I was working for was truly excellent, was a brand leader, it had constraints over this claims area that I, I, mm. I characterised that I went to, to try and set up. And it couldn't move past it. It just was incapable of doing what it needed to do to deliver the customer delight that I felt we as an organization should be doing. And yeah. 
as I, as I, I said at the outset, you know, I, I didn't invent claims management. It was already happening in the States and I, and I you know, was a customer of some of those businesses. So, well, I know what good can look like because I work with some of these organizations. It's not the right, right for us, you know, so we, we need to build something different. So I just started writing this down uh, mm. and just started mapping out what, what good could look like. Uh, and always thankful for the company that, that backed me in the first place to, to help me get the thing off the ground. They saw the same right. They navigated in a, in a similar space. So together, you know, we created something that was unique, distinctive. You know, the things I learned subsequently, but clearly were, were slightly kind of native in my head. But there was a, a, a worth and an ability and a scalability. So part of that discipline was, you know, it was properly planned. It wasn't, oh, wow, this is a great solution. You know, we knew people would buy it. You know, I would have been a customer had I stayed in my old job. And I knew there were many other me's there. So, so it was... It was just that, that growing self-confidence and self-belief drive and single determination, call it bloody-mindedness, whatever you want, that, that I've got to do this. Yes. And, it, and it, 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 you know, we all get horrible philosophical itches that we have to scratch, you know, and it, this one was, it was awful. And it, and it just became a real itch. And, and I started getting grumpy. I started getting grumpy at work. I started getting grumpy around yeah. the people because I didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, I just felt you know I was thirty six at the time. I was, I was thirty seven when I started. It was thirty six, about eighteen months gestation uh, before I, I went off and did it. And I was just grumpy for that, that eighteen months, and you know I fell out with a couple of people I worked with that you know we lost we lost friendships at that time, which fortunately got refound afterwards. And, and yeah. it was me. And it was just me because I just didn't want to be in that place anymore. So for a bit of you know personal well being and mental health, you know, yeah. <laughs> do something. So yes. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That was, that um i i will say and and you know i, I said about my father um getting me into the insurance industry tragically he died six months later you know from me joining so he died when i was 17 and uh, that yeah that's life-changing mm. uh, yes. you know, suddenly i was the, the man of the house as it were and you, you got a lot of growing up you have to go through and you go through your own grief and everything else and i think a lot of that bloody mindedness and self-determination, you know, tragically he was 50 when he died, you know, and he wow. was on the cusp of having that wonderful last 15 years of a working life. And I've got an older sister, you know, we were growing up, you know, and he should have had that time back with mum, you, know, yeah. you know, to do stuff. So that all sat in there as well, that determination, you know, mm. and there's a slight selfish gene in me that got in there, you know, it's going to, right. I'm going to do what, and I'm going to go down that channel, you know, and it, it probably took 10 years to, to manifest itself into my thirties, but once that was in there, that was where the you know the I mentioned it because that's where the itch become unbearable because yeah. I, you know I needed to be honest to my own personal philosophy of right I've got to go and do this. So. Yeah, no, spot on. Um, and thanks for sharing that. That's that's really helpful to give a, a really fully rounded view of of how you went through it because there's I suppose there's and and you know obviously you, you're talking about entrepreneurship all the time. Um, and I suppose there's a there's a there's a myth that you have an idea, just go find some money, set up a funky office, and, and off you go. And and you know the the story you're telling there is is often it's it's a lot more messy than that, and it takes a lot longer. And and uh, or, or actually, you know, there's lots of different journeys, and it doesn't have to be um, you know follow somebody on Instagram and then poof off you go. You're 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 ready to you're ready to rock. Um, so, so taking things then to a very practical place now, um, how, how do you run your day 
So you're working across multiple different things. What does it? What's that sort of daily routine look like for Mark? It's <laughs> funny because he, well, you, 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 you know, you kindly posted a couple of questions at me to think about. You know, do I have a daily routine? Do I ever? No, of course I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I live in a, I live in a world of organised chaos. You know, I go, I'm not sure what's happening on a day by day basis in my life. You know, so and uh, and I function better for it. Um, and it's a personal mindset thing. So I, yeah, I, being a little more serious about it, um, I don't have a daily routine. I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that. I get to do lots of different things and I, I can you know, I concentrate my efforts where they need to be. And you know, I've got some primary responsibilities. Um, I've got a, a, a very particular NED role, which is um, you know, very important to me and the people I, I NED for and I, and I love the work I do for them. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of navigating around lots of different moving parts, lots of different things going on. Um, you know, much of, as I touched on with some of the mentoring and everything else, much of the stuff I do, I don't get paid for now. I, I'm mm. quite happy that in my yeah. life if I can help others in power, which is said mutual friend that got us connected is a case to point. But I love that. And I love the, I love the diversity. I love the fact that I, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do on one, one moment to the other. And you're only one phone, phone call away from another piece of chaos. Yes. Um, and I, kind of a bit of an interesting answer. So the, 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 the company I talk about, the, the net in for, they, they are actually one of the sponsors of the Team GB bobsleigh team. And uh, we, we, we get to hang out with those folks. And okay, silly story. I love bobsleigh. So not, one of my 60th birthday presents to me was I did a bobsleigh run. That's Thank you. A wow. Ridiculous thing to do. If, if you want to do it, do it when you're 20 because you bounce. I didn't bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I came out, of, it was like being in a washing machine for a minute. I was just awful. <laughs> anyway, I love bobsleigh. So, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Pig in the brown stuff, you know, for me being around these folks. But it was one of the one of the guys in it, um, a guy called Greg, and he talked about, you know, he, his elite performance playbook and strategy is really about chaos theory, because in his world he has a very big target. You know, the next Olympics is that very big target. Yeah. What he can't legislate for in his, his daily life is, I wake up on a Monday, I go and run, and I put a hamstring or a fall over, or have an accident in the block, or something happens to me at home. Yes. And he has to be able to have the mindset to keep that constant focus in the big line going forward, knowing that his life's going to be bouncing, you know, left and right, up and down, and he's got no control over that. So I, it was funny, and he was talking about it recently, and I, and I that kind of got a little bit in my head, and I thought, that's kind of what I like doing, that's the way I like being. So if I've got, I worry when I've got, too many things to do. I worry even more when I've got no things to do. Yeah, and I have a yeah. very uncomfortable relationship with sleep. I've never slept well and still okay. don't. And much of it, I'm worse when I've got nothing to do. So I wake up thinking, I've got to find, well, what's going on? I've got to find something to do. So, <laughs> so I am that classic, if you could see it, my messy desk. Yeah. Everything sits around me. I don't file anything. You know, <laughs> it's just there. So so no, I, I have no routine at all in, yes. in what I do. And I, and I think if you talk to most entrepreneurs in their own head, they portray that organisation, but brains going, voices are talking to them all the time. Of course. I've got a lot of voices in my head, I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, do you know, one of the things uh, amongst, I mean, I've learned so many things speaking to people like yourself on these podcasts, but certainly one of my observations is that success doesn't really have one sort of approach um, or 
it's not that a certain type of person is necessarily successful. You can't be like a, if you're only a planner, you can be successful. Or if you're educated, you can be successful. Or if you suffer from mental health, you can't be successful or poor mental health, I should say. You know, it, it's just, there's, there's, a, there's a route through this. And, and, you know, a lot of it is, is about hard work and, and saying yes, of course, to, to, to opportunities and, and taking some risks. Um, and something that you said um, throughout this is about sort of diversity and bias. And I suppose I'm, I'm interested in, you know, do you, do you think the bias is a, is a fixable position uh, from a solving it? Or do you think we'll always have it and that's just who we are as humans? Yeah, no. I, I definitely think it's fixable. Um, I, and I suppose the problem is there is so much bias that we take into our adult life comes from our child life. So I think there's a whole different story about how people are brought up uh, and how we, how we have that kind of learning, life-shaping experiences there. But I think we should part that because that, that, that could get us down to a blind alley. Where it is fixable, uh, uh, and I generally do have a clear view on this, is... Diversity, equality, inclusivity is, is basically three parts of the same thing. And again, a good friend, much, much respected colleague, characterise it in a brilliant way. You see, you know, diversity is about being invited to a party. Inclusivity is being asked to dance. Equality is being allowed to pick the music. Now, I think you have to take the three parts in themselves. At the moment, I think the big systemic problem in, in diversity is larger organisations they realise they need to do it, but those running the organisations, the, the broad C-levels, whatever's in there mm. on the exec boards, see it as a function on a corporate agenda and they empower people to have, well, we have a diversity committee. Well, that's great. Mm. But that's not a diversity committee. That's you avoiding your own unwanted truth about yourself and actually getting other people to do some bidding that makes you feel a bit, little bit better about yourself. If Absolutely. Yeah. But even if you go through that route, way too many organisations then bring these people in but don't really think about from the lens of those people when they're inside the organisation, do they really feel included? Do they recognise other people around them that are like them? Often not. And if mm. there are, there's too few of them. So there's not the last parts of that, the equality. They don't feel like they're in that, that same place. So naturally they feel for good or for bad and it gets to their own personal character, an outsider who's got to force themselves to become an insider or always feel like a, an outsider. And I had a, I do a lot of work around this, as you, you might tell the way I, I speak of it. And I, I had the absolute honour to meet and uh, be in the room with a, a lady called Mary Ann Sigurd, uh, who's a, an ex-broadcaster who speaks so well on this topic and has written a book called The Authority Gap. And it's, it, it's basically just a, a dissertation on all of the inequality and gender bias that, that sits out there, which does start from the childhood bit on, you know, how girls are brought up to react against boys and yes. stuff that goes on from it. And actually, the reality out of it um, was, was this non-inclusion of the senior males. And she presented it. I was in an audience that she presented that, which had about 120 people in it. I was one of 18 men, so I was thanked personally for coming in there from her, from the stage. Yeah, and, uh, and I said, I thought, God, how ordinary do I feel about myself now? And mm. I represent, I could represent typically the white stale male. I thought, she's just so wrong. And you saw all the neds from, nods from all of the other people in the audience, obviously the rest of the female. 
and just I thought, oh, this is so wrong. So I, I read the book, which you know I needed to do. Obviously, I'd heard to speak about it. I thought, no, I've got to get right into this book. And I'd already started, uh, and I'm, I'm going to call out a good friend here in a minute. Um, I already started becoming involved around male inclusion and male allyship. In the, the and this this chap is called Mark Freed, uh, and he runs an organisation called E two E two W E two the number two W, and he learned and recognised a long time ago that actually those characterised C level people I'm talking about, if they don't undergo a culture change and they don't create the male allyship to realise that they're the problem, not the solution, yes. and actually drive from that problem that I am the problem and I need to change. And if I change in the right way, that I become more inclusive as a male and I really understand what needs to go on around. And we're focusing on gender here, but this could equally be neurodiversity, ethnic diversity, sexuality, whatever it would be. We're never going to move the needle. No. And therein lies the answer to your question, Ian, that until we get to that point, the problem is eminently solvable, but it's only solvable if the heart and the mind is willing. And I generally don't think we're in that place at the moment. And I... I, I yeah, for those that, that may wish to connect with me directly afterwards, you'll find I, I, I get old and grumpy on LinkedIn now and I write blogs and I, you know, I've, I've turned into Victor Meldrew. You know, I, I write grumpy blogs. <laughs> but I, I, I wrote a blog, blog calling this out, you know, in the same way I wrote a blog calling out talent, you know, and mm. the, the smart people I was talking about with the clever people. So I don't think there's anything like enough smart people in industry. And uh, I, I was a very, with a very, very, very senior city figure last night. Who, uh, who said, you know, if, if, if we're going to continue on our journey to success post-COVID and Brexit from the City of London, we've got to learn, remind ourselves how to take risk. We've de-risked society so far and everything has got so safe that we've forgotten what defines good. And I yeah. think that, you know, that equally comes back to you know, <clears throat> talent and current talent and opportunity. Yeah, no, that's a really good, uh, well-thought-through position I, and I would agree I think that at the moment the C-suite generally uh, sees either they don't see it um, or they see there's, there's something to be lost I think and that's why they're resisting or doing the tokenism of, of recruiting somebody from you know a, a, a you know from, from that background to sort of say that's okay we've got that we've got that box ticked um, and I think I agree with it. Mm. Much, much more needs to be done for that to, to work. And, and for the record, not not we should get into a conversation about it, I think, but that's equally the same for E of ESG. You know, we've spoken much to the S, but that's exactly the same on the, you know, mm. the, the transition to a, a more kind of carbon zero, climate friendly society. Yes. We do need to be in. You can't do it just by, we've got an ESG committee now, have you? Well, that's really good. What does that mean? You know, it, it, it's a, there is a, in 2022, I think in a corporate agenda, there, every level, every CEO should be taken on a course to mind shift and just think, really think about why they get out of bed and do what they do for their corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. So, Mark, we're, we're at the end of the podcast now. Um, and the, I'll, I always like to ask the, this final question, which is kind of where, where next for you? But I've got a feeling, given your, kind of frantic approach to life it's it's probably just the next phone call or linkedin request that you say yes to is it or or is it something else no 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 I, um no I, the, the, there is big I, I, the big thing for me is at a personal level november 23 when hopefully i get fully 
installed as the master for a year and really have the opportunity to use that year to to help shape entrepreneurship as a craft in the city yeah. um, without getting into the technicalities of, of what we are we are currently what is known as an aspirant livery company in my year and one of my duties um, is to help progress us to full livery so we take a full place in the city so there is a you know, very large job above the top of that door that, that needs to be done so yeah there's a there's there's a focus on that but slightly to your point at my age I work as hard as my energies allow me you know and I did try to stop I said earlier I sold those marketing businesses that was back in 2017 and again bit of a personal long story but I won't I won't have it enough to say that my poor wife she lost her father stepfather in the same year and we put a mother in a dementia home all within the course of 12 months and that gets you in that kind of life re-evaluation moment Absolutely, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm tired I'm doing stuff I don't really want to do anymore I'm around you know some people that I like them but I'm not sure they're, they're the people for the rest of my life and I just want to do some stuff for me yeah. I was invested in a in a business so anyway so I had that so I so I, I just stopped and I, I, I kind of took myself under a little bit of self-styled you know kind of um, hermit life disappeared for a while lasted three or four months those noises and voices in my head I talk about were shouting at me do something please for the love of god do something <laughs> not like what my wife was saying yeah, come please go and do something so so i i, I perfectly worked out that I, I will never stop Great. what i will do is more and more just do the things that my energy allow and the things that that, that philosophically you know, yes and i think hopefully i've unpacked enough of that today that people yeah i think you have to well. understand my personal philosophy that that, that yeah. chimes with that really yes no thank you uh, i'm certainly from a personal point of view and i guess thinking about people listening to this, um, there's there's lots that people would have learned from today, not least um, your continuing ambition, continuing energy, um, and an obvious sort of passion for helping folks. Um, and this kind of obvious kind of the energy is kind of coming through the screen to me at the moment. And, and, and you know, the, the, the sort of approach you've taken through life so that I think lots of people will learn a great deal from what you've shared with us today Mark so thank you very much for that and, and thank you for your time. Might I, might I give one more little nugget of, of golden mm-hmm. advice which I, I think is yeah I'd appreciate I know we're running over time now so really very quickly that whenever you start an enterprise we talked about that discipline entrepreneurship journey whenever you start a journey you start with the exit that's the golden rule of entrepreneurship you start with where I'm going to get to, not where I'm starting from. And that's the problem solving and everything else. And that that's always been quite strong in my head. So back to that last question, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there is the plan, you know, and mm. I know what the plan is. And it's always been about the exit, because if you know where you're going to, you can work backwards to where you're starting from. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're on a magical mystery tour. And that really is chaos. So, yeah. Sorry, I hope you don't mind me just sharing that. Last no, no, no. That's 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 a good, that's a good way of summarising it. So thank you for that. Um, so thank you, Mark. Um, loads of great things there. So um, as always, everybody else, uh, thank you for choosing to listen to What the Future. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please hit the subscribe button and tell others about us. Um, and we've talked quite a lot about mentoring today and helping people, and, and certainly at Future Leaders, this is a what we think is a hugely valuable step on the leadership journey and we are absolutely here to help make a difference. If you feel the same way, then please get involved. Tap the join us button at our webpage, which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com. And of course, follow us on LinkedIn. 
to jump in on the conversations. But for now, um, thank you. And we can um, look forward to speaking again soon. Ian, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. And I hope people enjoy listening to it. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>